Father, we just pray tonight over the Word. Y'all just agree with me. The Bible says that two will agree. Father, we pray the Word of the Lord is so important. Lord, we love Your presence. We love the, the move of the Holy Spirit. But Lord, we've got to also have the powerful Word of the Lord. And Father, I just pray as we get into the Word tonight, Lord, that Your glory, Your presence, Your anointing would be so strong on everyone listening right now. That the Spirit of God just settle over people. Lord, that... that Time is just gone, distractions are gone, and we're focused in, our minds, our hearts are locked in to give you our best ear and our full attention, or that we're captivated by the Spirit of God. How many times do we read in Scripture what the Spirit is speaking to the church? Those that have eyes to see and ears to hear, let them hear. And Lord, I pray right now, anoint our eyes, anoint our ears so that we can tune in and actually see what the Holy Spirit is showing us and hear what the Holy Spirit is speaking in the Word of the Lord. Help us, Lord. Touch our eyes and ears. Tune them in. Lord, I pray that you would give us good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives right now. Just till up that soil within us. And let, as you speak through me, Lord, I humble myself, ask you for the grace, speak through me everything, Lord, that you need to be spoken tonight. It'll come out as living seeds of truth, the parable of the seed and the sower. It's going to go out and land on good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives. And let your Holy Spirit water that seed, Lord. Cause it to take root in all of us and grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Let your light shine forth right now as light shining in the dark places of our lives. And I ask you, Lord, to dispel any darkness, any lies of the enemy, deception. Just dispel that out and bring in the light of truth. The scriptures talk about enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we will know the hope to which you've called us in our inheritance. Lord, let there be an enlightening tonight of the truth of your word. Let your word go out like a sword that cuts away what needs to go and a powerful hammer that literally tears down and destroys, demolishes the strongholds of the enemy. And we thank you, Lord, that your word will not return void, but it, it will accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. And we stand on that tonight and we thank you for it. Let everything be accomplished through this time that you will to be done. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen. Alright, I'm going to deal with part 10, I believe, of this series on healing. But let me just give you a couple things. First off, let me open by saying this, and hopefully you guys can hear my heart in this, but I truly believe with every fiber of my being, I've been studying the scriptures now for 20 years or more, and I am convinced that American Christianity across the nation is not biblical Christianity. Would you guys agree with that? There's too many things. I'm going to get into it tonight. There's too many things that are just too far off. But there are wonderful places where God is moving and they preach the truth and, and they're like pillars and of truth and communities out there across the nation. Some wonderful, wonderful places. But by and large... The overwhelming majority of what we know as, as Christianity in America is not biblical Christianity. Book of Acts Christianity is just not. And God is wanting to restore that. And I believe in the, in the days that we're living, we're very close to Christ's coming. I could sidetrack right now and go off on the signs of the times and spend way too long doing that. But trust me, we're living in the last days. There's way too many signs. Things that are going on with Israel are significant. God's preparing the land and the people and the nation there for His coming. So, 
Anyway, I said all that just to kind of give you a prelude because of what I'm getting into. But we need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. If we want to see a healing ministry today, we've got to learn to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and set the captives free. So let me give you a few scriptures, and I'm going to go in a couple different directions, but I'm going to try to stick with healing um, as a central theme, but I'm going to kind of jump around a little bit. The Bible says in Romans 8.14, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Let me just tell you as I read these scriptures that my heart in this is for all of us to start coming into maturity. And there's some things throughout all of this I'm going to be saying, especially as I go into kind of the altar time. But the body of Christ, we have got to start coming into maturity. And that is, that's not necessarily works-based. You know, we can say, well, we prayed this song, we witnessed this, this many people and did this and that and the other. And as long as you're doing all that because you love the Lord and your motives are sincere, that's a beautiful, wonderful thing before the Lord. Trust me. You're storing up treasures in heaven. You're advancing the kingdom. It's a wonderful thing. But spiritual maturity, from what I understand it to be, is actually a developing of the inner man. It's a developing of your um, your inner being to where there's fellowship with you and the Lord. You, you're communing with the Lord. You know Him. You know His voice. You know His presence. And you're being conformed into His image. To me, in my opinion, studying the Scriptures all these years, if somebody say, well, what does it mean to become mature? I believe that's what it means. You're developed on the inside. Your, your inner man's developed. And so you know the Lord, you commune with Him, and you have fellowship with Him, and, and you're being conformed into His image. So in the Bible, when you read this, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. But you've got to understand that Paul did not use these are children of God. He said the word sons for a reason. In the Jewish culture, when somebody is a child, they, you know, they're under their mother's watch care. But when a young man reaches around the age of 13 and they go through a bar mitzvah and all of that, now they're considered a son. In other words, they're now considered to be brought into maturity. And now they'll come up under their father's watch care and, and in this culture they would begin to do what their father did. If their father was a carpenter, like Jesus' father was, then he would become an apprentice and begin to learn carpentry. Does this make sense? And so what Paul is saying here is that, that as we're learning to be led by the Spirit of God, we're coming into maturity. You're no longer a child. Now you're starting to come into a sonship and a maturity about you. That you know the Lord's voice. You know the Lord's leading, and He can speak to you about things. And this is important, because baby Christians that that are very young in the Lord have not learned this yet. And this has got to be developed within all of us, okay? The second scripture, and this is a very interesting scripture. Hebrews 5.14 says, But solid food, like meat, okay, is for the mature who because of practice have trained their senses to discern good and evil. So in other words, an infant is still on milk. An infant can't handle meat. You slide up a steak to a baby, you know, they're not going to be able to eat that thing. 
may look good, but they can't do it, you know. But as they get older, they can learn how to digest that. And, and so the point is this, that we're coming out of being an infant to maturity. And let me explain the scripture. Solid food is for the mature who by practice have trained their senses to discern good and evil. All right. That is not your physical senses. Most of you know this, but just a very quick recap for those that are not familiar with body, soul, and spirit. But this is this outer body. Okay, this is your body, your flesh in the Bible. And your outer body has the senses, the sight, hearing, smell, taste, and touch. And we know a lot about the physical body through science. And, and this physical body is actually where the sin nature is. When Adam and Eve sinned, they sinned with their body. They ate fruit. And sin got into your physical DNA. And that's why when, you bo- when you're born, your body begins a process of dying right there because your flesh is under a curse. All of us are going to die. But that's your physical body. And within that physical body has um, a sinful nature and desires that go contrary to the Lord and His law. Okay. Now, your body, soul, spirit, your soul area is kind of a connector of the two. Your soul is actually your mind and your emotions. So right now, as you're listening to me, you're using your intellect. You may remember things that have happened. You're thinking about things right now. You may be imagining things using your imagination. But that realm of the memory, the mind, the intellect, that realm is your soul and also your emotions. What makes you happy? What makes you sad? And all of us are a little bit different. Your soul, all of us have unique personalities and different sense of humor. Okay, Jeremiah, we're talk- we were talking about that before church. We all have a little bit different sense of humor. <laughs> and different things make us laugh, but that's, that's the part of your personality and your soul. Your soul is like a computer because it stores information, but it's also who you are as a person. Okay? That part of you is never going to die. That, that's, that's something that's um, eternal. Now also though is your spirit man. Now this is probably the most misunderstood. And this is where your senses are. Okay. I don't like using this example. But it's the best one that I can think of. That will help you to understand it. Okay. All of you have, have seen something where somebody said they saw a ghost or something. Okay. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about. They saw an apparition. They saw this. All right, a ghost, if you will, is a spirit being, but it has a body. When you look at that, you know, there's a body. This is, this is a bad example, I know. But anyway, just work with me, okay? And it's got a body about it. It can see, hear, smell, taste, and touch. But it's a spirit body. It can walk through walls, okay? All of us have a human spirit within us. Now, let me just detour and say that um, ghosts are not real. Okay, it's demons. Okay, if somebody sees something, they're seeing a demon. When you die, you're not going to float around shaking chains and scaring kids and graveyard stuff. You're not going to do that. Okay, when you die, you either go to heaven with Jesus or hell with the devil. So, the ghost thing is demons. But I'm trying to make a point that your inner man is a spirit being. And that spirit of you, that it will look just like your physical body, but that spirit has eyes that can see, ears that can hear, can smell, can taste, and can feel. Now, primarily, well, number one, that's where the Holy Spirit lives in you. 
So whenever you accept Christ as your Savior and you're born again, the part of you that is born again is your spirit. The Bible says the lamp of the Lord comes on. Okay, You're, you're rejuvenated, but it's the Spirit of God living in your spirit. So deep down in your spirit, man, now you're different. The Holy Spirit lives in you. He gives you the nature of Christ. And now, deep down in you, there's a cry for the Lord. You're hungry for Him. If you're truly born of God, you're different on the inside. But yet, your flesh still craves things that it shouldn't. And so you're at this battle the Bible describes within yourself, the flesh versus the spirit. You've got to learn how to die to the flesh and walk in the spirit. But that spirit man within you, that inner man, is the part of you that has got to be developed by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God that you have now learned how to discern good from evil. There are times, for example, that I've been places. There's, uh, there's so many different scenarios I could give you. But I know sometimes I've been places where there was an evil presence. Maybe a geographic location that you're at or whatever. And you can just, those that are discerning, you've just, you know, your inner man is developed to know good from evil. You don't have to see something. You can sense it within. You can tell there's something off here. There's just... I can feel it. And also you can come into the Lord's house and begin to worship and the presence of God begins to come in and you can sense that. And the more sensitive you are to the Lord, the quicker you pick up on it. The Lord can show you something in the way of revelation and you'll see, it's literally like you can see something and God is revealing things to you that's, the, that's really begins in the inner man. And then it goes from the spirit. It begins to come into the soul area where your mind is renewed. You know, you, you're, you're disciplined in that area about what you're thinking about and all of that. But it begins in the spirit. A strong spirit is a very discerning spirit within you. And very sensitive to the Lord. A, a strong soul area is a disciplined soul that you learn, and all of us are working on this, okay? But you learn to keep your emotions disciplined. How many of you guys have ever had in your life, and be honest, or you know somebody, that just their emotions are way up and way down? They're really happy one minute, really depressed the next. That's an undisciplined soul. Or the discipline of the mind that you're very careful about what you're going to dwell on. Everybody has thoughts pass through your head, okay? But you don't have to sit there and dwell on it. So you have some weird thought coming in your mind and you throw it out and, and you're disciplined. I'm not going to think on that garbage. I'm going to think on something else. And you're, you're disciplined about what you're thinking. You're disciplined in your emotions. And you're disciplined about your decisions. I'm going to make godly decisions. And you're disciplined about that. Now, for example, the soul area. Somebody says, well, I'm going to develop a prayer life. But how many knows it takes some discipline about you to be consistent with it? That's the part of you, that's your soul area. Where you're disciplined to make the decision to do something and you stick with it. That's the soul, that's discipline there. 
But what is it about your physical body? Your physical body, I mean, we all want to take care of ourselves and be healthy. But as far as Christianity is concerned, in regards to your spiritual body, God is wanting us to die to the flesh. That means that your inner man, your spirit man is the king. Your soul is the servant. And your body is the slave. Your body does what it's told. Let me say it again. Your inner man, your spirit is king. Your soul is a servant. But your body is slave. And that's a disciplined, strong Christian that is developing in the Lord, but really developing their spiritual life in the Lord, their inner man. So I said that to say this. Those inner senses of the spirit man is becoming to a place within you to be strengthened to where you can discern. God can speak to you about something and you can hear it like that. God can show you something and you pick up on it like that. You can sense God's presence quickly. When the Lord is leading you, when the Holy Spirit is moving in a certain direction, you can feel it like that. You can pick up on it and you're quick to move. And that's, that's somebody that is learning to be led by the Spirit of God. Because we all deal with things in life. For example, we know the scriptures are clear about certain things, but whenever it comes to you've put out job applications and you've got two different jobs that have called you back, which one do I take? You can't go to the Bible and scroll down and be like, this verse, you know, you have to be led by the Spirit. So all of us in a practical sense have got to get in our, in our lives to a place to where the Lord can speak to us about things in life, about which road do you take? I mean, what about really important decisions like who you're going to marry? You know, what you're going to do for a career path and the things that you're going to do in life that's significant for the Lord, your calling. You know, what if somebody said, well, I'm called to, to move over here to this other nation and do some missionary work and they were never called to do that. I mean, they're making a huge life-altering decision and they miss God. That's not good. <laughs> Amen? So you've got to make sure that you're led by the Spirit of God. So I'm going somewhere with this. Ephesians 4.14 says this, As a result, we are no longer to be children. Now this was talking about in context about the fivefold ministry teaching us and equipping us. Okay? And he says the result of that fivefold ministry teaching and equipping us is this. We're not going to be children anymore. What is the children? Look at this. Tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. So in other words, you're not going back and forth in your thoughts. You're not going back and forth in your beliefs. You're not going back and forth emotionally. There's like there's a stability there. I know the way I'm supposed to be acting in this situation. I know also what I believe. I'm grounded. I'm not just going to be tossed here and there by everything that's going on. Life, all of a sudden, there's a storm that hits. And instead of panicking and freaking out... And, and just going berserk. No, you say, you know what? I'm going to trust in the Lord. And you know His Word and, and, and you're established in that. And instead of panicking, you're handling it biblically. You're handling it in prayer. You're handling it in faith. But more than that, in this scripture, really, it's talking about tossed here and there by winds of doctrine. You know what you believe. You're established in the faith. 
How many people have grown up in church, but they weren't really established in the faith, and they got to college, and some weirdo started challenging what they believe, and next thing you know, they're off like winds of doctrine blew them off course. You've got to know what you believe. Amen. This is all about coming into maturity in Christ. I hope you all are hearing me tonight. This is important, I'm telling you. We've got to get maturity about us. We're not going to be tossed about by waves in life. We're not going to be tossed about by winds of doctrine. We're established. In 1 Thessalonians 5.20, the reason why I bring this scripture out is I did a series on deception and mixture. And I talked in that series about um, how there's things that are not of the Lord going on and just be careful to not have a mixture there. And one of the things I talked about was some of the prophecies that are not of the Lord. But I want to show you this to balance it out. First Thessalonians 5.20 says, Do not despise prophetic utterances. Don't despise prophecy. And I looked up despise in the Greek to see what it means. And it means this, to show contempt... Not esteem and treat as nothing. When God gives you a true word and you treat it as nothing, you're actually in sin and disobeying the Bible. Did you know that? When God gives you a true word, you're supposed to lay hold of that and pray that thing through. Okay? If you're treating it as nothing, it's not esteemed. You're showing contempt toward it. It's uh, whatever. You're actually not obeying the scriptures there. We're supposed to pray things through and believe the word of the Lord. But see, the point is this though. We've got to get to a place spiritually where we know what is truly the word of the Lord and what is not. There's true prophetic words out there and there's people that give prophetic words that are very accurate, but there's also some people out there that are real flaky. So you've got to know what's of the Lord and what isn't. And when you have a developed inner man, a discernment about you, you can tell. So now let me shift gears a little bit. We've been talking about prophetically about going up the mountain to higher realms of anointing and glory. And I gave a lot of teaching on some things that's going on in our ministry that I cannot get back into. So those of you that have been here, you're going to know what I'm talking about. But it says this. I wanted to point this out. When you look at the tabernacle, there's the outer court, the holy place, the holy of holies. All of you have sat through my teachings, so you're familiar with this. But it says about moving through the outer court. What I believe God's trying to do in River of Life, okay, is this. God's trying to prepare us to go deeper in Him and deeper in His presence because there's a lot more He's wanting to do. This is where we're at. This is not it. This is incredible what God's been doing. There's been testimonies after testimonies over the years of, of healings and miracles and major deliverances and, and, and incredible testimonies of people getting saved and, and, and people having just awesome encounters with God and a lot of things that have been going on. But this is not it. It's not like we've arrived, okay? And what I'm trying to tell you is, is God is wanting us to go much farther than where we're at and see much greater things than what we're seeing. Amen? So as we're moving through the outer court, have you ever noticed in the outer court that there's the blood, 
There's the washing of the water of the Word, and there's the fire. You know what the outer court is? It is representing the blood of Jesus deeply cleansing us. The washing of the water of the Word and the purifying fire of the Holy Spirit doing a deep cleansing and a deep sanctification in us that is preparing us to go deeper into His presence. Did you get that? Let me say that again. It's a deep washing of the blood of Jesus, a deep cleansing of the washing of the water of the Word, and a purifying fire of the Holy Spirit that is doing such a deep priestly cleansing in us to where we can go deeper into His presence. And that's what God's wanting to do because as we go deeper into His presence, we're going to see even more of the miraculous. Like for example, with Azusa Street, don't you remember as Brother Zach taught about Azusa Street, how incredible that was? And the glory of the Lord filled the house. Literally, there was a like a continual um, haze of the glory, like a, a, a cloud that was there. And, and they saw many times the pillar of fire overhead and the fire department called. But the thing is that when that glory came in that level, that's when they would see even greater miracles. Why? Because just being in the presence of God, there's the miraculous that will break out. Amen? And that's what I believe God is wanting to take us deeper into His presence. His presence is here. Okay? But there's much more than what we have. Do you guys understand that? I'm telling you, there's much more than what we have. I think some people that are new in the Lord may think, man, this is awesome. And it is wonderful. But there's more. There's much more. And the cloud of the glory of God brings an atmosphere of healing and health. It does. When the cloud comes in of the glory, you may not see it with your physical eye. You might. A lot of people do. But if you don't see it, with your, it doesn't really matter. When the glory of the Lord really comes in thick, there's healing in His presence. So as we're talking about the healing ministry, God is wanting to take us deeper into His presence so that the healing ministry can become more and more what He wants it to be. So let me give you some things about the healing ministry tonight. And then I want to do something special here at the altar time. I want to give you something to think about. But when you look at the American Christian church right now, I'll come back to this at the end of the message too and deal with something else in that. But you're not seeing the fullness of what the early church saw. And truthfully, we should be going farther. God is always in a building process. Anybody that thinks that the past was the best and then it's all downhill from there doesn't know the Bible. When God, for example, when He began something with Abraham, things increased with Moses. Moses went up in the clouds, saw God. Okay, It increased with Moses. Then from Moses, it increased with the prophets. Read the prophets. Read their experiences with God. It's amazing. And then from the prophets, it increased with Christ. And then from Christ's ministry, he said, it's better that I go away and send you the Spirit. What in the world? Why? Because he knew the Spirit of God could teach him and take him deeper. Because they could understand. The Holy Spirit could, could help them understand things. And so when the Holy Spirit came, there, there was an increase of... This whole time, there's an increase of revelation. And there's an increase of what God's doing. And then the early church saw this, and then the dark ages came. But now, as we're in the last days, God's wanting us to see even more. 
than what the early church saw. And just as there was progressive increase of revelation, we're going to understand things about the scriptures in these last days that our spiritual fathers and mothers didn't understand. The Bible says the path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter until that day. Meaning there's going to be a progressive increase of revelation until Christ comes. And I'll give you one example was the whole thing with the blood moons. Nobody really fully understood that until now. I would, I would look at it like I always thought years ago, 20 years ago, that there would be maybe a, some kind of a nuclear exchange and, and what was going ascending up in the sky would turn the moon to blood, you know, or, or would make the sun darken. I mean, you know, that's, a, that's an assumption. Or maybe some kind of a volcanic eruption or some kind of a meteor hit the... I always thought it was something like that. But now seeing the blood moons on the feast days and the solar eclipses, now we actually understand what God's speaking and what He's doing. But we didn't, our spiritual fathers and mothers in the faith did not have that revelation. Do you see how there's a progressive increase of revelation? But there's also a progressive increase of God's power. And the last day church is going to see, I'm telling you, all the fire that has ever been, okay, all the moves of God that's ever been is going to be gathered up in a big ball of fire and God's going to throw it on the earth in the last days. And He said it this way, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. There's going to be the greatest move of God, literally, in world history is going to take place in the last days. And the result is going to be the greatest harvest of souls. And that's going to be what Christ comes in, is that major move of God. So, we're not even, by and large, when you look at the whole body of Christ, they're not anywhere near seeing any of that yet. But God's got a remnant, He's got a group that, he's, that are drawn near to Him that are going to be ready. And when He comes in power, when He comes in revival, those that are drawn near to Him are going to be used real powerful, but eventually it will affect many, many others. Every revival is broken out, usually almost every one of them is broken out with a smaller group of people, but it would spread from there to many other Christians and of course non-Christians as well as they come to know the Lord. But here's some things. What plays into healing? Number one, that God is able to do a deep consecration in us. And also inner healing. People say, maybe they're having some battles, you know. What is it that I could look at and see maybe is trying to hinder? I would say this, let God do an incredibly deep consecration in you. What I mean is not just your sin forgiven, but there can be defilement in people that is not even their sin. I'll give you an example. Somebody's molested as a kid, they didn't sin. The person that molested them sinned. But there can be a spiritual defilement on the person that was a recipient of all that lust and perversion. There can be a spiritual defilement on them that needs to be cleansed away. Are you hearing me? So defilement is not always necessarily your sin, but it can even be sins of others that have affected you. But let God do a deep, deep consecration where He deeply purges every part of you. Ask Him to do it. You know, get alone with God and take communion and by faith, put that body and blood of the Lord by faith into those places in your life and ask God, Lord, I'm just by faith applying the body and blood of the Lord into the deepest places. Do a deep purging and cleansing in me. 
Lord, anything that needs to go, let it be cleansed out by the blood of Jesus. And also inner healing. There's some people that, that have been so wounded in life. They've been through some things. They have pain. They have trauma from their past. Let God pull that out of you and heal you. And also what plays into healing is deliverance and spiritual warfare. Let God deliver you from things and set you free from things. I'll come back to some of this at the very end, but I want you to think about this. In regards to deliverance and spiritual warfare. Let's say somebody was a heavy smoker. Well, actually, there's a true story. There's a man that was a heavy smoker, and he worked really hard, and he had a, he had a great career. And here he was. It was at time to retire, and his retirement was strong. And he had this thing set up. He was Him and his wife were going to move. They had a beautiful home. And before he could even really enjoy his retirement, true story, he got cancer in the lungs, and he died. I want, I want you to see something here. That spirit of bondage that kept him addicted like that worked together with a spirit of death, cancer, that took him out. Those are like strongholds in people's lives. It's like interlocking type spirits that God is needing to deliver people from And there's an element of spiritual warfare in that so that they can come into health. I'll come back into that later. But here's some other things that play into healing. Operating in words of knowledge. How many of you guys have seen words of knowledge? I've seen some amazing words of knowledge. Let me give you not just about healing, but there was uh, some pretty, pretty neat stories. There in Brownsville... Steve Hill was preaching one night and gave an altar call for souls. And just out of nowhere, he just blurted this out. I was there. This is why it caught my attention, but I knew it wasn't for me. But the guy's name was Scott. But he blurted out, he said, there's a military man by the name of Scott. And he said that you are tired of taking orders and you're mad at me right now because I'm telling you to get right with God. Now listen. But he says, the Lord says, you get down here now. You know, there was a military man that came down there and gave his life to the Lord that night and got saved and got things right with God. Isn't that something? But that was a word of knowledge. There's no way in the world that all those thousands of people that Steve would have known that. You know, that was supernatural. I've seen major words of knowledge. I've seen, um, for example, a friend of ours named Chalmer who actually was a um, spiritual fa- spiritual father to my wife and helped to mentor her um, years, you know, for years when she first got saved. But he was there and he was watching the 700 Club and he had had some really serious problems in his lungs. I mean, actually, I'm sorry, in his heart. And he was having enough problems in his heart to where at night... He was waking up unable to breathe, and he was having to sit up and and just really get his you know get his heart going. And, and he, he was telling me about it. He was really bad. He was concerned that he was going to die in his sleep, and he was praying about it. And one day he was watching the 700 Club, you know, Pat Robertson and them, and, and they just started praying. And one of them said, you know, a word of knowledge, said, there's a man out there who's had heart problems, and God's healing you right now. And he said, he said he's sitting there watching the TV, and he felt something shoot through that tv screen it was just like it just punched him right in the chest just he felt it just hit him in the chest 
And he said he knew God touched him. He got up, and he hadn't been able to do this. He started walking miles. Do you remember him telling us? He was telling us his testimony. He started walking miles. His heart made a full recovery. And all that issues he was having with sleeping, everything was totally gone. God totally healed him. There's no way. There is no way that whoever it was that gave that word of knowledge on Seven Hundred Club, there's no way they knew. There was a man out in the Middle East, Texas, named Chalmer, okay, that had issues with his heart. That was supernatural. So how do words of knowledge work? I've seen them with people being delivered from demonic things. I've seen a lot of words of knowledge. They're powerful. But words of knowledge are basically, it's a gift of the Spirit, and it works with the healing ministry. And words of knowledge is basically where the Lord gives you supernatural information. There's no way that you would know. But you know that once you give that out of your mouth and you speak it forth and you know that it's from God, you know that it has to happen because God spoke it. You see what I'm saying? God gave that information. So if God spoke out there, there's somebody being healed of this, you know that that is the word of the Lord. There's a scripture that says that God sent his word and healed them. Well, we've given some words of knowledge and people give testimonies, but I, I, one of my favorite stories of words of knowledge, though, is, and it's because it's so funny. You guys have heard him tell it, but John Kilpatrick, tell him about that time those words of knowledge broke out. All right. So he was there, and in the revival at Brownsville, and the glory of God was amazing. And I didn't know if you guys ever knew this, but you could see, even in a lot of the pictures and things, you could see like a bluish type cloud many times overhead. It was the glory. Well, one night while they were worshiping and all that, he said he looked up and he saw in the balcony, it looked like a big bubble, okay, like a kid with the bubble blowers, you know, this was a vision, it wasn't real, but he saw it and to him it was real, and he was kind of mad because they had people come from all over and he's thinking, man, some mom just let their kid go crazy with a bubble blower in the middle of the church and we got this big soap bubble up there. And he's like, what in the world? And while he's thinking that, because nobody else is seeing this. He's seeing it's a vision. While he's seeing this, the Lord spoke to him and said, no. He said, that's my healing virtue. And if you will speak it out, that will burst and release healing in this place. And so he spoke that out. And you know what? There were so many miracles that broke out that night. It was amazing. But one of the things that was funny was he said that he was so tired that his eyes looked like two burnt holes in a blanket, right? He was so tired, and he said that even though he was exhausted and tired from all the nights of revival, he said the Spirit of God came upon him that night because healing was just flowing. And he said it just started flowing out of him where he was just speaking out these sicknesses and things that were being healed. Words of knowledge. And he said God had never really used him like that before. But he said it just, it was one of those things. It just took off and he was just speaking these things out. And while he's doing that, healing done exploded. People are getting healed everywhere. He's going like this, speaking it. And he said there was a woman over here and he said out of his mouth, calcified disc and spurs. What in the world, right? He said, right as he spoke it, he saw something, because he's in, he's seeing these things God's showing. He saw something just shoot out like this and hit the woman in the chest. She goes flying back and screaming. And he thought, dear God, God done killed that woman. She's dead. <laughs> and um, it was hilarious to listen to him tell the story. But you know what? The woman, he had never seen the woman before in his life. You know what the story was? 
she had a serious condition with calcified discs and spurs. And it was so painful that she had to get on very high dosages of medicine for the pain. She would get addicted to the medicine, and so she had to get off the medicine because of the addiction. And it was this horrible thing in her life, and she was so desperate. She had gone to other meetings that she and her husband prayed that day. She said, if, this, if God doesn't do something tonight, I just want to die. She said, I want to go home to be with Jesus. I can't handle this anymore. And her and her husband were praying and asking God for a miracle that night. And that was the very night that that word of knowledge came out and hit that woman. As you know, she got up, she was healed. It was gone. The pain was gone. So I'm just saying that to give out examples about words of knowledge. So how do you get words of knowledge? Because I believe these are about to really increase the river of life. Here's some ways words of knowledge work. Number one, you may feel a pain that is not yours. You're sitting here and the Holy Spirit begins to move and all of a sudden you've got a sharp pain somewhere and you're like, what in the world? And then somebody will give a word of knowledge and say, I feel like there's a sharp pain in my shoulders. There's somebody here with a sharp pain in your shoulder and somebody says, that's me. And it's like, in Jesus' name, be healed. That's a word of knowledge and then they're healed. That's very common. But see, you've got to develop your inner man to become kind of sensitive to what the Holy Spirit's doing. Another way is vision seen... Just like what John Kilpatrick saw. You know, he saw these things. He saw visions. He saw that bubble thing. He saw that shoot out of his mouth, hit that woman he was seeing. But it could be visions where you, you're sitting there preaching and you see something. David Hogue, I mean, no, I'm sorry. Don Dickerman had a crazy story one time where he was preaching in a prison. And he saw, he had a vision, and he saw a man... And there was like this little rat on him and was gnawing at his stomach. And so he commanded that thing to go. And did you know that that rat left or whatever, it was a spiritual thing. And that man came down and told him that he had had some major serious health problems in his stomach. It was serious. But it was totally healed. It was gone. He saw, he saw a vision of what was causing it. That was obviously a spirit that was causing that. And that's in the, kind of in a flow of, of words of knowledge. Or maybe dreams that you had before. You're going to preach one night. You know, the night before, God gives you dreams. And in the dreams, you see certain people getting healed from certain things. And so you get up behind the pulpit the next night and say, Look, I had dreams that God was going to be healing people of cancer. And I saw this, that, and the other. And then people start coming down and you're describing their conditions, their issues. And it all came to you in a dream. That can be words of knowledge as well. Uh, the most common is impressions in the mind, I think. To me, anyway. Where you just get information in your mind and you speak it forth. Another one that's, that's different, but it does happen, is reading words on somebody. I've heard preachers say that they'll be praying for people and then they'll see somebody and written, they're seeing a vision, but written over them was something like cancer or something and and they, so they took authority over it and they were healed, something like that. But they literally saw God showed them what it was. And then the last one is just 
while you're speaking, things come out of your mouth. Now, I know as a preacher that that has happened to me. As you pray beforehand, Lord, just speak through me, whatever you want to speak. And so you give him permission, and you're going along talking, and you say things, and you're like, I can't believe I just said that. But it was totally the Lord, you know. And there's people that have been praying, and they're praying from the pulpit. They're praying for healing, and all of a sudden, things just shoot out. And that was actually what happened in the John Kilpatrick story. He said he never even heard calcified disc and spurs. What is that, you know? And it just came out, and the woman was healed. But it's just kind of an involuntary where the Holy Spirit just uses you in that way, okay? But these are ways that words of knowledge operate. So those of you that are interested in having a healing ministry, I encourage you to take this paper and begin to pray about these things and ask the Lord, Lord, I want to begin to operate in words of knowledge. And then, you know, ask Him about it. I've seen, even as we go on the street, there's people that will ask the Lord to speak to us. And there's so many testimonies where people saw a vision or something and they went out. Let's say, I'm just give you a hypothetical, but we've seen a lot of this. All of a sudden, somebody saw maybe a green shirt and they saw a banana and then they saw something else. And you're going, this makes no sense. And then they get out on the streets and maybe they saw like a mohawk or something. And they get out on the streets and all of a sudden there's some guy walking by and he's got a mohawk, a green shirt, and there's a big banana on the shirt. And they're like, I'm supposed to witness to that guy, you know, and they go and they're witness to him. And God really speaks to him. But th- those, in essence, are similar to words of knowledge. You see what I'm saying? God is giving you information that you should not have. But there's been so many testimonies of that type of thing where people have told me, Pastor Scott, God showed me this, and then I went out and I saw this, and it was no doubt that God spoke to them, okay? In fact, I've heard stories where, where people have told me that I showed the person my phone, and said, look at this information I wrote down an hour ago about the green shirt, the banana, and the mohawk. You've got a mohawk. You've got a green shirt and a banana. And say, God wants me to talk to you. And the person is just, wow, you know. God cares about me enough to speak to somebody and send them to me. Isn't that awesome? So you guys have already in many ways operated in some of these things, probably without really realizing what it was. But if you want a healing ministry, it seems that the heal, the gift of healing and the gift of words of knowledge seem to work together. Just like the gift of speaking a message in tongues and the gift of interpreting the tongues seem to work together. Another pairing up, if you will, is the gift of faith and the gift of working of miracles. Those two seem to pair up as well. So if you're wanting a healing ministry, begin to pray about these things. But operating the gifts that help the healing ministry, not just words of knowledge, but here's some other ways that the gifts of the Holy Spirit help in the healing ministry. I can give a lot of stories about these things, but prophetic revelation. I've prayed for so many people, and many others have as well, that, that you, God showed you something, and then you prayed for them about what God showed you, and they were healed. Because God revealed maybe the root of the problem or what needed to be dealt with. Okay? That's prophetic revelation. Discerning of spirits is a gift. Many, many times I've prayed with people and God showed me like a hindering spirit in their life. 
You take authority over that spirit, it leaves, and then they're healed from whatever mental torment, emotional, psychological issue, physical problem, whatever it was that was afflicting them, God helped you to discern the spirit and then rebuke it. That plays into the healing ministry. So these are things that that will function in all of us if we seek the Lord about it. Ask Him about, Lord, let the gifts of the Spirit be in operation in my life. I want to have a healing ministry. I want to move with you in these things. Because Jesus loves people and He wants them healed. My thing is this, though. Anytime that God does heal people, always get the person's focus back on Jesus. Okay. I've had people try to thank me or something. I'm like, whoa, no. Look, the truth of the matter is this. If somebody put a gun to my head and brought me to a sick person and said, you heal them, I couldn't do it to save my life. I couldn't do it if I wanted to. But he can. And when we pray for them, he'll show up. And what I'm saying is, is just get the people's focus back on Him. You know, they may want to thank you and, be, and just stop. No, 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 no. Take a moment, you thank Him, and I'll agree with you. And let them thank Jesus. for and get, Give that moment where they can thank Him and get their focus on Him, okay? Here's a prayer model that Randy Clark uses, and I really like this. But at the same time... There's one thing that you just kind of need to use wisdom in. But number one, to interview someone and diagnose the problem. I do a lot of that with the deliverance ministry. We have a questionnaire. And I pray with a lot of people. And I won't deal with people that are unwilling to work with the system that we have in place. (laughs) Okay, But anyway, you run into that with some people. But I have that deliverance questionnaire there because as they fill it out, it helps me to know, well, here's the problem. You know, they practiced witchcraft when they were a teenager. You know, they slept around and did drugs at this time in their life. They, they did this. They, they got mixed up in this other religion. And, and now they're having spiritual problems. They open the door right here. So you interview them and you diagnose the problem and then you can help them get the victory. You see what I'm saying? And then... Randy Clark is talking about praying for the person and re-interviewing them after you pray with them. But one of the things that, that he was saying was asking people how they feel. Now, something I've personally learned about this. Y'all, please hear me with this, okay? Some people have developed their inner man to where they're sensitive. And you can ask them... What are you feeling? What's going on right now? And they can actually tell you. But other people, they don't feel anything. Their inner man, they have not developed that at all. They're still really spiritual babies, okay? But the problem with that is if, if you're asking a spiritual babe, what do you feel? And they don't feel anything, then you're getting their focus on the fact they're not feeling anything. <laughs> and now it's dead in the water because they think, well, I'm not healed or nothing happened because I'm not feeling anything. That's not how it works. It doesn't matter what you feel. Okay? You could not feel a thing and still God totally healed you. So I just encourage you to be wise about who you ask if they're feeling something or experiencing something because some people won't. Okay? They're just not developed at all. They're still spiritual babes. 
And then the last one was post-prayer suggestions, teaching people to take things by faith. Okay, many people, many people that I've prayed with, I could tell you stories that they came to me and they, you know, God touched them or whatever that night. But as they left, they days later they were healed of something. One of my favorite stories was a little girl that I was praying with, and she had an injury, a snowboard injury, hurt her knees. It really wasn't anything life-threatening. I mean, it was just painful, and she couldn't go out and play with other kids, you know. And the other kids would go out and play soccer or whatever. She couldn't play because she had sore knees, and it just made me sad, you know, because she's a little girl. She should be out there playing with everybody else. So we just simply prayed and told her to take it by faith and, and left. And she came running up to me next time she saw me, and she said, Well, Scott, you won't believe this, but my knees, there's no pain anymore. I can run and play, you know. Isn't that awesome? Jesus cares about the little things, you know what I'm saying? That wasn't life-threatening. It wasn't like she was dying of cancer and she had two nights to live. It was just she just couldn't run and play. She could still function in life, but the Lord still healed her. Alright, here's some hindrances to healing in people's lives. I'm just going to read them off, okay? Number one is unforgiveness. Maybe they have resentment in them, they have anger, they're bitter, they have hatred in their heart, whatever. However you want to look at it, it's a root of unforgiveness. That can stop somebody from being healed. Another one is a lack of needed inner healing. If they've still got some deep pain and wounds of the past that they've not emotionally been healed from, that can hinder them from being physically healthy. The next one is a curse of various kinds. There's different types of curses. Somebody could have picked up a curse from a geographic place they went. It could be a generational, which kind of dovetails into the next point. It could be something that um, a parent spoke over them that you'll never amount to anything or you'll always be sick or something like that. Put a curse, like spoke a curse over. There's a lot of different ways that curses come, but breaking that thing, because a curse can cause sickness. The next one is generational problems, things that travel down family bloodlines. Obviously a generational curse, generational spirits, strongholds. People have been dedicated to other gods because their parents or grandparents or great-grandparents or whatever um, involved themselves in other religions. And so therefore they were dedicated, so to speak, to those other religions. And these things can cause major health problems in the family. Okay, So when people have ancestors that have practiced witchcraft, have gotten involved in the dark arts, maybe they got involved in seances and psychics and, and different things like that, or they worshipped other gods, um, they did things that brought basically a curse on the family. You know, and it could be, for example, um, a murder, and maybe they were never even caught, but they, you know, they murdered somebody and it brought a curse on the family. Just something in the bloodline that needs to be put under the blood of Jesus and broken. Okay? And I know about these things, and some of you know my wife's testimony, but her family was deeply involved in the occult, so I know firsthand the power of breaking those things. Okay? And the difference it makes is amazing. Also, your personal past involvement in the occult. If you, 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 you yourself have practiced witchcraft, have, have involved yourself in divination, which is seeking information from the occult, like tarot cards, psychics, things like that, 
or practice sorcery where you had material objects in your life that were supposed to bring you power or fortune. If you've involved yourselves in the occult, it brings a curse. And so somebody comes to you and they're wanting healing from something, but if they haven't dealt with asking God's forgiveness for the witchcraft and then breaking that curse off their life that came on, the sickness can be stubborn and remain. Let me even give you some, some uh, stories about the power of sorcery. There was a time Benny Hinn told this story, actually. He was praying for different people, and there was a woman that came up to get prayer about healing, and he prayed for her, and he felt the power of God start to move and pull back. And he was trying to ask the Lord, what's the deal? And he noticed that she was wearing a necklace that had a pentagram on it. And he said to her, he said, ma'am, would you get rid of that necklace? And she said, okay, yeah. And she took it off and got rid of it. The second she took it off and threw it away like that, the power of God hit that woman. She went flying back. Sometimes God's not going to touch people unless they're willing to give up their witchcraft. Amen. And some stuff in their life they need to be willing to get rid of. Somebody that's, that's sleeping around and they know it's wrong and then they want to come up and get healed. God wants to heal them and he loves them. But until they're willing to quit the sin, amen, God's not necessarily going to touch them. Here's another reason some people don't get healed. They don't want to be healed. I know that that surprises you, but I've met people. I remember when Jesus walked by the man that was by the pool, and the angel would come and stir the pool, and he's laying on his mat, and Jesus said, Do you want to be healed? I used to read that thinking, Jesus, of course the guy wants to be healed. He's at the pool. But then as I was looking in ministry over the years at things that I've encountered, there's been people, because they get a pretty good... Social security check or whatever because of their issue, you go to pray for people and they don't want you they don't want to be healed. You say, Hey man, do you, you want to be healed from this issue? No, I'm good. I get a I get I get a government check, I'm fine, and uh, you know, all right. And, and then the next one is Freemasonry. Okay? Freemasonry is very serious. It's it's idolatry, it's the worship of other gods. There's very powerful spirits traffic there. I have this in my ancestry. I've dealt with it. I know firsthand. Okay. That can be an issue where people have health problems. And it's weird because I have this on our website. Somebody else made this this long renunciation that goes through everything. I mean, it's like 30 pages. Y'all help me out. Some of you have done it. Is it like 30 pages? Like 60 pages? It's 80 pages. Okay. I didn't make it, so I'm not the long-winded one. But it's, it's 80 pages. But listen, as you go down through that and you read the physical health problems that were connected with that specific satanic ritual and that oath they took, it's it's very... Um, it is weird how accurate that is. And it's across the board. People have issues with this because of this. And you can look at people I've prayed with, including some battles I went through, people I know have went through, that because of that ritual, this health problem came on the family. It's very serious. Freemasonry is very serious. But I encourage you, if you're listening to this, you can go to our website to the Deliverance Ministry area and go down to Downloads. You can download that Freemasonry renunciation. And it's pretty much everything you need to know right there. Some, some really knowledgeable people, I believe out of South Africa, if I'm not mistaken, made that. And it's, it's, it's incredible. Another thing is difficulty believing that God heals today. You know, one of the things that I've dealt with the most in the ministry is, you know, when somebody comes into Christ, we were just talking about this the other day, they have no Christian, no, I'm sorry, no type of um, 
a background of any kind, religious background. They just come into Christ, and they come to church, and they're just open for God to do work. They just read the Bible, they're open, Lord, whatever you want to do in me. The hardest people to deal with are people that have already been taught wrong. They've been taught against tongues. They've been taught against the power of God. They've, been, they've got these prejudices and these weird belief systems in their mind. They've been taught God doesn't heal today. And I'm going to tell you, they believe that and it's a, it's a stronghold in their life. You know why it's a stronghold? The Bible says that you've got to pull down these thoughts. Bring everything captive, obedient to Christ. Pull down these thought patterns that are wrong. And some people have wrong thought patterns about healing, and so therefore they're not going to be healed until they can believe God. It hinders them. Which leads to the next point of not receiving by faith, but depending on feelings. As you know, there's been many, many times in my life where I did not feel something at all, but I had to believe God anyway. And did you know He came through? Did you know depending on feelings is one of the worst things you can do in Christianity? Because a lot of times you're going to feel the opposite. You're preaching. You go to minister. And in, in the way you feel, if you go by feelings, it feels like this is going to be the worst service ever. You go in there and you shake that off and it comes to be one of the most powerful services you've ever been in in your life. You pray for somebody. You feel such a resistance. But yet, they're totally set free and healed. It feels the opposite of what you want it to feel like. But it ends up God moves in a powerful way. You cannot go by feelings. The next one is fear. The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear. And fear is a big door for the enemy. Oh, um, to give you a little example about this, my wife and I, I'm not going to tell the whole thing, but my wife and I were stuck in a situation with some little kids and it was a place that I, I worked for and, and, and they, they brought us through this little area that wasn't scary to us at all, but to little kids, it was scary. So they're all clinging to me, you know, <laughs> it's like, guys, it's, it's okay. It's, you know, but how many Christians are like that? The Lord's up there going, guys, this isn't scary, but the Christians are terrified of what the enemy's doing. And we've got to get to the place where we don't allow fear to manipulate any area of our lives at all. Now, listen, when, when a farmer puts a scarecrow in a field, it's there to scare away those birds and things, but there'll be one crow or whatever that flies down from the tree and is on sitting on the head of that scarecrow. <laughs> and he's saying to all of his buddies, guys, this is, this is not real. If this scarecrow was real, I would be dead right now. And he's, he's yelling to him and he's flapping his wings. And he's up there, he's sitting on there. He's, he's mocking the scarecrow. And his friends, though, are up there and they're scared and they won't ever go down. And I'm going to tell you, a lot of Christians are like that. They look at things and Satan has put like this scarecrow there. And they won't ever really press into what God has for them. Even though there's somebody that's gone before them that's kind of standing on top of that thing saying, Hey man, I've been there and this thing is just a scarecrow. It's just Satan trying to intimidate you. It seems like a Goliath, but it's just that big. 
The next one is unresolved guilt, shame, self-hatred, and a need to forgive yourself. How many people out there are so guilty about things that have happened in their past? They're so full of shame. They have so much self-hatred toward themselves. They've done something and they've never really forgiven themselves for what they did. And because of that, maybe they deal with some health problems. It's time that we also, if we've got forgiveness from God, that we forgive ourselves and we get past this stuff. God doesn't want us living the rest of our lives guilty about things that are under the blood. If God has forgiven you and washed it away, there's a scripture that says that he throws it away like in a sea of forgetfulness. He doesn't remember it against you anymore. And he's wanting you to quit dwelling on it and let it go. To get that shame off you. You know one of the best ways to get shame off you? The Bible says confess your faults one to another and be healed. One of the best ways to get shame off you is maybe go to somebody you can trust, like a pastor or something like that, and share things with them. I did this, that, and the other, and get them to pray for you. And once you've opened, you've you've been open about it and talked about it, it's like shame comes off you. You know how many times, because we have this deliverance ministry, we have people fill out a questionnaire. Did you know most people come to me and they have an attitude like, well, don't look in there. You know, I've been so bad and all this stuff. And almost everybody does that. And then I open it and I'm like, this is nothing compared to what I've seen, you know. But, but I just tell them, look, everybody says that. But, and, and once they go through it and they've talked to us about it and they've just been open in confidence and said, look, I did all this stuff. And they're really ashamed of it. You know, and it is shameful things. All of us have shameful things. But once they're able to talk about it and pray with somebody about it and get washed in the blood, but they were able to tell it to somebody else, it's like that shame came off of them. They realized that they're still loved by God and still loved by God's people and just get over it and move on. Let's just move on from it all. The next one is disobedience. That can be under a lot of ways, disobeying God's word. But how many people, God has told them, you need to do this, this, and this. Maybe you're called into the ministry to do this, and they're just flat out saying, I'm not going to go do it. And because of their disobedience, which is sin, they've opened themselves up to some spiritual attack against their health. So find out, is there any area in my life, where, Lord, where I've been disobedient to you? Forgive me, Lord. Another one is unbroken inner vows. Please hear me about this one because this gets a lot of people. Somebody's been hurt and they say, I will never be like so-and-so. I will never do that. These are inner vows within yourself that you're judging other people. And these inner vows within you can set you up, can open you up to spiritual problems. Another one is ungodly soul ties. Somebody that slept around and then now they have ties with other people and they need those things broken and severed in their life so that all that junk that came into them can be free. You do understand that God said marriage between a man and a woman is where sex is supposed to take place and that's the only place that's in there for a reason. God is trying to protect people. you got to understand, when two people have sex, the world thinks it's just a physical act, and then they walk away from it. But it is far more than that. 
part of your soul area and part of their soul area becomes intertwined. The Bible says the two become one. Your spirit man and their spirit opens up to each other and whatever's in their life can attach itself and defile your spirit. And I'm, I love you enough to tell you the truth. Those that are listening to this, sex outside of marriage is dangerous. And I'm not just talking about the physical diseases. I'm talking about the spiritual problems that people carry the rest of their lives because of it. But you can be free. Jesus paid for it. But you've got to break those soul ties. And, and I'm going to tell you a story. I mean, I've got a lot of stories about this. But let me tell you a quick story. There was a man that, that called me. And we were talking on the phone maybe about a month ago. He lives in another part of our nation. And he was telling me that his wife had been sleeping around on him. And this was an unrepentant act, okay? She had been doing this, and she would come back, and of course, they were having sex. But see, the Bible says to keep your marriage bed undefiled. And what that means is undefiled, if you look it up in the Greek, it means like one. It means that it's supposed to just be the two of you, nobody else included, okay? And so he started having these weird dreams about this guy and about her. And all of a sudden, all this weird stuff started going on in his mind and sexually he was being tormented with these sexual perversions in his mind. You know why? Because his adulterous wife went out and defiled herself with this other person and brought it into their marriage bed. And now he's being affected by the tormenting pollution, defilement, and the spirits that attach to her. And I talked to him about all this stuff. But that, that stuff is serious. And he didn't even he wasn't the one that was unfaithful. But he was still affected by it. Um, another one is a belief system that God put sickness to teach you something. Did you know before the latter rain revival of the 40s and 50s, did you know a lot of people believe that? You know who helped to, do, to really break that? Was Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts used to preach, God's a good God. It was so simple, but that was something that so many people believe. Well, they're battling a sickness. God put it on me. He's wanting to teach me something. And the latter rain revival of the 40s and 50s, these great men of God got up and said, Now, wait a second. Jesus said Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy. Okay. Jesus is, I mean, Satan is behind the sickness of Jesus. When he walked the earth, he didn't go around putting sickness on people. Hey, come here, take this. You know, he went through, what did he end up going around doing? He ended up going around healing everybody that was sick. And so they help people understand, quit thinking that way. You know why it's, it's such an issue? Because they were accepting it in their life as being from God. So they were accepting it instead of looking at it like an enemy that needed to leave. Another thing that can be a hindrance is unrepentant sin in somebody's life or a residue of defilement, which I've already kind of covered. The last couple ones, a presence, another one is a presence of a spirit of illness or affliction. Jesus drove out demons out of people that were healed of sicknesses when the demon left. There was a man in the Bible that was mute and deaf and Jesus drove it out and when the demon left, the man spoke and heard. 
So there are many times there, there's actually an afflicting spirit. And you've got to drive that out. When that is the case, the prayer of faith alone will not get the job done. The person's symptoms could leave and they could start doing better because you prayed for them, but it'll ultimately come back on them because that spirit is still at work. You've got to get rid of the spirit behind it. Another one is witchcraft targeting a person. This can be very serious. You need to discern it and break it. And then the final one is spiritual warfare. You're going after God with all your heart. You're being used to God to win souls and do different things. And you're, all of a sudden you're coming under spiritual warfare. And you find that your physical body is, is being attacked. You've got to break that and drive that warfare back out of your life. So those are the three things. There may be a satanic spirit. There could be an issue of somebody being targeted with witchcraft. Or there could be spiritual warfare from the enemy coming against them to resist them. But the Bible teaches us to bind the strong men and destroy those strongholds and drive it out. And I'll let you just read over this stuff. But any spirit of infirmity or sickness has to be cast out. The belief system that God caused the sickness to develop character or whatever has got to be corrected. If there's sin or unforgiveness in somebody's life, they've got to get it out of their life. Listen to this last statement. If a person has a sexually transmitted disease after living a promiscuous life, he needs to repent of the lifestyle, turn away from it, then be healed. Does that make sense? In other words, you need to say, Lord, forgive me for all the sleeping around that caused this in my life. It's my fault. You said in your word to not be sleeping around. I went around sleeping around. And now, Lord, forgive me for this. I repent of it. I'm not going back to it. And then God will bring healing. But if the person is unrepentant, they know that they're going to leave out that meeting and go sleep with the first person that's willing, then what makes anybody believe that God's going to heal somebody under those circumstances? Do you see what I'm saying? Another one is this. If a person has lung cancer after years of smoking and abusing his body with cigarettes, and then he needs to understand that he needs to ask God's forgiveness and repent about the smoking that caused the cancer. Lord, forgive me for abusing my body in a way that caused this problem. It was my fault. It was my sin that brought this. Forgive me, Lord. Wash me in the blood. And then the healing can come. And the same thing, there's been people that have had trauma in their life. They, they maybe were raped. And they've really been wounded. And they need God to heal them. But they need to make a decision before the Lord. I'm going to forgive this person that raped me. And once they forgive them, then the healing can come. But until they're going to hate, as long as they're going to hate that person for what they did, they're never really going to be able to be healed. Does this make sense? So these are some things that can really hinder people from being healed. And the last thing I want to talk about is what we opened up with is this. American Christianity is not really biblical Christianity by and large for the most part. And God is wanting all of us to get to the place to where the supernatural aspect of God 
the Spirit of God invading people's lives and then being brought to Jesus. It's like that testimony Melissa gave where the Spirit of God came and this person looked like they were going to cry and the Spirit of God was moving on them. Total sinners. But the Spirit of God moving into people's lives. Also healings and miracles. People being delivered from the demonic. People being baptized in the Holy Spirit. All of these things should be normal Christianity. It is not radical. I'm going somewhere with this as we close. Please hear me. That is not radical. A lot of Christians in America think that they're radical because they're willing to wear a Jesus t-shirt. That's not radical, friend. That's pathetic. Okay? Radical is when you go out on the streets where there's a gang, okay, and they're all got their guns and weapons, and you go up and tell them about Jesus, and some of them get saved. That's radical. Okay? Wearing your little t-shirt's not radical. But this is normal Christianity, this, to see the miraculous, to see God come down and, and change people's lives by the power of God. That's normal Christianity. It's not radical. It's not something that's like, wow, you know. No, what's sad is, is it started that way, and that's normal Christianity, but it began to decline so bad now that when people see what the way it's supposed to be, they think, oh, well, that's radical. So here's a couple things as I close. Just kind of get that ready for me. You guys remember the Moravians? Brother Zach talked about them. Count Zinzendorf had a lot of money. And uh, he bought some land. And there was a group of people called the Moravians. They came together and they started praying. Hear this. They, at first, there was so much fighting going on, it looked like nothing was going to happen. They couldn't get along. But as they began to pray, the Spirit of God began to move among the Moravians. And the prayer meetings turned into 24 hours a day, somebody was praying. Seven days a week, somebody was praying for over a hundred years. That went on. The Moravians began to get an open heaven and the presence of God so deep and so powerful in their midst that they truly came to know the Lord in a very deep, profound way. They began to really understand the Bible. And I want everybody to please give me your best ear in this because I want you to hear me. If you want to go deeper in Christ, you need to hear what I'm going to tell you. Number one, I mentioned about American Christianity and, and the lack of the supernatural, but I want you to hear now about sacrifice and suffering. The Moravians understood Christ, and they, were, they became, as God changed them in His presence and did such a deep work in their life, they became so radical about their faith in Christ that, listen to this, they had people that were powerful intercessors that they just gave their life to prayer and intercession that, that they wouldn't even eat that much. I mean, they were just so dedicated to, to sharing in Christ's sufferings of prayer. There were others that gave their life for the gospel. And listen to how radical they were. There was one person in particular that, that saw the need in a leper colony that all those people were lost and they were dying. And so he went and became um, into the leper colony. Of course, this was before we understand the healing ministry like we got it today. Okay, God has given us more revelation today. But he was willing to go live in the leper colony, become a leper, so that all of them could be saved. All of them died, but they all died Christians. This was how radical the Moravians were. They really understood my life for the gospel. 
there was another person that saw that there were all these slaves. And he saw that many of them did not know the Lord. He was willing, on his own initiative, to sell himself into slavery and live among the slaves so that he could win them all to Christ. That's really not radical. I know it sure seems like radical in America, doesn't it? But that's normal Christianity. That we're willing to lay down our lives for the gospel. This is a true story. I cannot remember the man's name. I was racking my brain today. But anyway, this is a true story. There was a man that was called to go on the mission field. And he knew that where he was going was going to be hard and he would probably die. And there was a woman there he really felt to marry her and she was to go with him. But he also knew what she was going to have to go into. They married young back then. She was probably 15, 16 years old. And he sent a letter to the father and said to the father, I'm asking for your daughter's hand in marriage, but you've got to understand, I'm going on the mission field to this place. We probably will face hardships. We probably will die at some point. And that whenever you, if, if you allow her to marry me, she prob- you'll probably never see her again, basically. And the father said, is, is that radical to you? I mean, that's, isn't that normal Christianity, though? The father said, okay. He said, I'm going to pray about it. And he said that the Lord dealt with him that it was of God. But he said, I'm not going to force my daughter to do anything. He said, you, you take this letter and go pray about it. And the daughter was, you know, some people gave her a hard time. But she said, my life for the gospel. And married him. They went out on the mission field. They were there. They suffered hardships just like they thought. And they died on the mission field. Radical Christianity. But in actual fact, that's exactly biblical Christianity. Let me read to you something about the early disciples. Did you know that almost none of those that followed Jesus lived a normal life and died a normal death? Did you know James was killed. His execution is recorded in the Bible. As you know, Peter was died upside down on an X-shaped cross because he believed that he was not worthy to die as Jesus did. The apostle Andrew was hanged on an olive tree and was martyred. Thomas, remember doubting Thomas? Thomas sealed his testimony as he was thrust through with a pine spear and tormented by hot plates and burned alive. The apostle Philip, all of this was martyr's death. The apostle Philip, he evangelized in Phrygia where hostile Jews had him tortured and crucified. Remember Matthew, the tax collector, who followed Jesus? He was beheaded. For his testimony in Christ. Nathaniel was unwilling to recant his proclamation of the risen Christ and was flayed and then crucified. James the Lesser was thrown down off of a temple and beaten to death for, for Jesus Christ, for his testimony. Simon the Zealot was crucified by a governor in Syria. Judas Thaddeus was beaten to death with sticks, showing the world that Christ was Lord of all. Matthias preached in Ethiopia and was stoned to death while hanging on a cross. The Apostle John, who actually lived, was boiled alive, but he lived. He was exiled to the Isle of Patmos where he got the book of Revelation. 
but they tried to kill him, and you know that he had scars to mark what happened. Paul was beheaded in Rome. The point is that Jesus' followers live lives for the gospel. They gave their life for the gospel. And here in a moment, I'm going to get Brianna to play something for me. And I want you all to listen to it, but just wait on it just for a second. I want you to think about this for a second. When Jesus lived on the earth, he said, foxes have holes, birds have nests. Jesus lived a life of a vagabond because he chose to. He didn't have a roof over his head. He didn't have a wife. He could have if he wanted to. But he, his life was dedicated to doing what he did. His followers saw that and understood that, and that's the way they basically lived. They lived a life for the gospel, the sacrificial life, my life for the gospel. They put themselves in harm's way. It was the same way through, you know, from Nero to Diocletian, all those Roman emperors would, would, would take Christians and put them in the Colosseums. You guys know the stories. The lions would eat them and, and they would dip them in oil and burn, the, you know, burn them up on sticks and light the streets. And, and just, you know, Christians have been hated through the centuries. And right now, in our day and time, I know that we're not seeing a lot of that in America. We probably are seeing more than what you think behind the scenes underground. But in other countries, it's open. And there are people right now in Syria and right now while we're having church tonight in Iraq that are being killed for Christ. Their, their heads are being pulled back and they're taking machetes and slitting their throat for Jesus right now because they're Christians. And the only reason they're doing it is because they're Christians. They're hanging them up on crosses. Um, they're torturing them. There's people all over the world that for their testimony in Jesus Christ are sitting in prisons right now in North Korea, in Iran, and other places because the only reason is because they're a follower of Jesus Christ. This is actually normal Christianity. And what, what concerns me is, is as persecution comes to America, how many people are going to fall away from the faith that were never really the real deal anyway? We've got to count the cost. Now let me just bring it home to River of Life. With revival and the move of God, historically there's been a lot of persecution against moves of God. Okay. You've got to be willing to deal with the little tiny bit of suffering and persecution that we go through here in America being made fun of and misunderstood and ridiculed and persecuted. And We've got to be willing to endure these things like good soldiers. Amen? And I would say the same thing to you preaching if I was in another part of the world where there was a good possibility over the next week one of you would be dead. I'd be telling you the same thing. We've got to be willing to suffer the persecution for Christ's sake. Don't give up on the faith. Okay? We've got to be sold out. And this is the thing I want to do tonight. Just a moment, I'm going to have her play something. But we cannot force change in anybody. Please hear me on this last point. Everybody to lock into what I'm saying. And then I'm going to play something as we have an altar time. You cannot force anybody to change. And what I mean by that is this. People become, you know, they get saved. They're baby Christians. They come into church and they kind of just sit around and, and during the worship time and just watch. They need to be worshiping the Lord. Amen. But the truth of the matter is, you can't make people do that. I remember one time I saw a youth pastor do that. I was really young in the Lord, and this youth pastor was in there, and all these kids were, were just not entering in. They weren't being bad, but they just weren't entering in. 
And he kind of got on to him pretty stern. So they all started worshiping. But I remember feeling in my heart that something wasn't right about that. And as I prayed and sought the Lord over the years, here's what the Lord showed me. Somebody getting up and trying to force people to worship, do you really think the worship pleases the Lord? Think about it for a minute. Because now they're going, well, he's making me do this. And I'm just singing the song because I have to sing the song, you know. and Just going through the motions. And it, it doesn't really... But here's what I've learned about the Lord. We've got to really pray and let the Lord put it in people. To put in them a hunger for Him. Instead of griping at somebody because they're not hungry, why not pray for them? Pray that God will put a hunger in them. And what I'm trying to get at tonight is this. Some of you, you sit there and I know in your heart you're saying, Pastor Scott, you know, I would like to go deeper in the Lord than where I am truthfully. If I had to be honest, I would like to have more of a burden for souls and be more of an effective witness for the Lord than I've ever been. I would like to be even more of a worshiper than I've been. I feel like my worship is not really where it needs to be. I want to be more of a prayer warrior and an intercessor than where I'm at right now. My prayer life is not really where it needs to be. I would like to be more hungry and on fire today than I've ever been. Let me tell you this. You can't just turn it on and off. You've got to let God put that in you. No man can come to the Father except the Spirit draw him. God's got to put it in you and change you on the inside. He's got to put that in you. So I'm asking you tonight, those of you that will listen to me, how many of you guys want to go deeper in Christ than where you've been? You do. You want your worship to be more deep. You want your witness to be more than it's been. You want your prayer life to be more than it's been. You you want to go deeper in Him. And I'm saying to you tonight, if you'll enter in tonight in this altar time, I'm going to pray for people that God will put that in you tonight. How many knows if we agree together, God, God's going to do it. He's going to put it in you. But I want us to count the cost tonight. How many of you are willing? You know, we sit there and think about people going to prison. But here's where the rubber meets the road for me and you. How many of you are willing if we had a bunch of people in here tonight that needed prayer and we have to get up for work tomorrow morning early? How many people are willing to stay late and pray for people and go to sleep at 3 and have to get up at 6? How many people, if the Lord should move on us to witness, are willing to go out and witness for a while and not... You know, but see, a lot of people in America, it's just all about me, 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 and selfish. And I'm not trying to be mean, but you can't even get them to come to church unless you offer them a free latte and a big barbecue dinner. And then they'll come. And then you look in other parts of the world where they have to walk miles in 100 degree weather to a building that has no air conditioning... And, you know, it's, it's unkempt, it's, it's dilapidated, but they're willing to walk miles to be in God's presence. You get people in, in America, they can drive an air-conditioned car to a nice building and, and really receive from God, but they're too lazy to get out of their lazy boy watching their favorite TV show that they DVR'd, you know, and they, they'd rather do that than go to church. Is anybody seeing what's wrong? I think that if you took the early disciples that followed Jesus Christ and somehow time warped them here, you know, and here they are in their robes and sandals, and they were to see American Christianity, they would probably say to me and you, that's not even Christianity. These people don't even really know the Lord that I know. I walked with him, and I'm telling you, this selfish little life that people live, they don't even know the Lord. 
So what I want to do is I want her to go ahead and play that. I want you to listen to this. And here's what I want you to do. Where you're at, just find a place to pray. If you want to kneel, if you want to go somewhere, listen As to June this. As June Burke was dying at the stake, find a place to she pray said right this now. quote, Talk to the Every Lord. man gives his life for what he believes. And every woman gives her life for what she believes. Sometimes people believe in little or nothing, and yet they give their lives to that little or nothing. When life is all we have, we live it and it's gone, but to live without belief is more terrible than dying. Even more terrible. 